Before we start, we want to let you know we've launched a Patreon page where supporters can receive perks like bonus episodes and exclusive content. Because Pop Fiction Women is our passion project, a place where we give women space to show up and offer in-depth analysis in the ways we're used to hearing about male creators and their characters. We delve into creativity and psychology with a dash of astrology, and we have so much fun doing it. Just two friends breaking down books, movies, and shows like Normal People, Fleabag, and I May Destroy You. Every single aspect of this podcast we do ourselves, from the preparation to the recording, from the editing to the social media promotion. So we're adding a Patreon platform because we want to keep making the show you love and hopefully expand it even further. So please consider becoming one of our most complicated fans and contributing on Patreon. To learn more, go to patreon.com forward slash pop fiction women. This is Pop Fiction Women. I'm Corinne. I'm Kate. And we're complicated. Blunt. Total boss. But sometimes a mess. Opinionated. But never boring. And in this podcast, we're discussing the complicated women of the best books, TV, and movies. Along with the complicated women behind the scenes. Warning, lots of spoilers ahead. So come back when you're done. Hurry up, it's starting. Today we are chatting with Jennifer DeLeon. Jennifer is an assistant professor of creative writing at Framingham State University, a Grub Street instructor and board member. She has published prose in over a dozen literary journals, including Plowshares, Iowa Review, and Michigan Quarterly Review. Jennifer edited an essay collection entitled Wise Latinas, Writers on Higher Education. She received her MFA, among other impressive degrees, at UMass Boston. Don't Ask Me Where I'm From is her debut novel. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jen. Thank you both for having me here. So we'd love to just start off with you telling us a little bit about Don't Ask Me Where I'm From. Sure. So Don't Ask Me Where I'm From tells the story of 15-year-old Liliana Cruz, and she is living in Boston when she gets accepted to a MECO program, which means that she is then bused from her inner city neighborhood to a wealthy suburb early in the morning every day. And she's trying to fit in, trying to find her way. Meanwhile, there's some family drama happening and boy drama and best friend drama, you know, typical teen stuff. So she's got a lot on her plate. Mm. Yes. And I love YA fiction, just so you know. I'm a big fan, um, and I know by definition the subject matter and genres of YA novels generally correlate with the age and experience of the protagonist. But for me, and I think many others, that in no way trivializes the content or themes explored in YA fiction. We've all been teenagers, and when a book captures the authentic voice of the young adult experience, the struggles, the drama of coming of age, as well as yours does, I just find it so relatable. And in Don't Ask Me Where I'm From, there are definitely some weighty issues addressed, race, class, immigration, which we'll discuss more today. So first, I'd love to just hear about your decision to write this as a YA novel. Yes. So I had a fellowship at the Boston Public Library with the associates of the Boston Public Library program there. And it was for children's and YA. And I remember getting the call for submissions and thinking, I, I can't submit 
my work to this. I don't write YA. But then I look closer and I realized that you just needed 15 pages and a summary. And I thought, I have short stories where there's a protagonist who's a teenager. I'll just plop that in there and call it chapter one. And I made up a synopsis. And that first year I applied, I did not get the fellowship. But the second year I applied, I did get it. And then I thought, oh, my God, now I have to write this. And and it has to, <laughs> has to be YA. So I just that's that's the kind of practical answer. But really, I've been a teacher in Boston Public Schools forever. And I just felt like I had teens in my ear and and I wanted to have them on the page too. Literally you had them. <laughs> yeah, I did. Oh I yeah. Imagine. Yeah. On pop fiction women we talk about complicated women or girls, which to us just means real three-dimensional human beings with contradictions and conflict and our tagline is we're complicated. Liliana Cruz certainly qualifies. Absolutely. I mean, and the other thing we're drawn to is characters who from the outset are at a crossroads, like a crisis point and have to navigate not just the situation or their environment, but also their relationship with themselves and who they really are. Liliana is thrust into the Metco school, as you mentioned, the and against her will, really, and forced to figure out her place and how she fits in or even if she wants to. So can you talk a little bit more about Liliana specifically, her contradictions, her inner conflict? And and it sounds like your teaching did help you find your authentic teenage voice, but I'd, I'd love to hear more about that too, how you got sort of in her head. Definitely. I mean, Liliana is, as you said, certainly complicated. I mean, she is for the first time kind of realizing that her story is part of a larger story and she is grappling with, you know, different coming of age conflicts and just trying to figure out her identity, her place in the world. But on a practical level, she's at this new school trying to find friends, trying to find a place to sit in the cafeteria, trying to like walk around and just kind of feel more at ease in her classes, all of that. I think that for lots of teens who are considered the 1.5 generation, so, you know, their parents were born in another country, they were born in the U.S., but they're growing up with two cultures in their, at least two cultures in their household. It can be really complicated. I know that was my experience where I felt like I wasn't fully belonging in one world or the other world. And I was constantly code switching and straddling that divide. And so Liliana does that in multiple ways in, in the book. Yeah. Which brings me to what I wanted to talk about, that yeah. this idea of otherness, right? I am not a 1.5. My grandmother is from Puerto Rico, so I'm a, a little bit more removed, but I had similar experiences of feeling other in two ways. So I went to high school in a very small, rural, Polish, Irish town, and I, I stuck out with my curly brown hair and skin that tanned noticeably every day during outdoor recess. So at college, I could not wait to meet other Latina women. And I went to a Nahana meeting at, at Boston College. Yep. But I felt uncomfortable there. Then I was too white. And, yeah. you know, Boston weather made my hair too straight. I understood Spanish, was definitely used to taking orders in Spanish, but I was not fluent. So right. I was so self-conscious that I that I didn't go back. And I was disappointed to feel other in a new setting. Mm -hmm. There's a point in the book when Genesis tells Liliana that sometimes being different or other can have its advantages, but sometimes it ends up meaning you don't feel like you belong in either world. 
So I appreciated that you did not shy away from the complexities of identity, obviously, in this book, because you could have shown just one way to be other, but there are lots of different perspectives on what that means. How much of your own experiences are in this book? So many experiences that I kind of refurbished, yeah. I think. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and so, of course, it's a contemporary setting. Originally, I had said it in the 90s, mm. and I had some feedback from an editor at a conference who said, you know, this is historical fiction, right? If you said it in the 90s. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I know. So I like went home and cried. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, And I thought, oh man, all right. So what can I do? And then I thought, wait, I know contemporary. My students are right in front of me. I, I, again, hear them and see them and I watch them interact and I can set this story, which is, I think, a universal story in a contemporary setting. And so I had so many ways that I I kind of brought my experience to Liliana's experience and and put, tried to put into different scenes and, and settings. And one was what you just described is that you can feel like an outsider with the outsiders, you know, when she she gets to to Westberg, she finds the students of color in the MECO program and they're kind of cold to her at first, you know, mm-hmm. they, and even my editor was like, why are they so mean to her? And I'm like, there's this kind of weirdness that's like, who's this new girl and what are you about? Mm-hmm. And we've seen girls come and go. Are you for real? Are you going to stay? Are you down? You yeah. know? And, and so I definitely had that experience in college where I went to the similar, like the Ahana group. Mm-hmm. And um, I, at first, did not have the best experience. I got this vibe from other Latina women who were like, you have to choose. Yeah. And I just was not willing to do that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So in the novel, Liliana says something that always made me feel better, writing. I have always capital L loved writing, even more than sleep. I'd stay up later and I'd wake up early to write, even on the weekends, like I had to. And then she says, I'm practically the same way about reading. So for me growing up, I, capital L, loved writing and reading, probably a slight edge towards reading. But I understand you came to reading and writing a little bit later in elementary school. So I just wanted to... Uh, hear more about your childhood reading and writing experience. Yes. I just wrote an article where I started by writing that the only two books in our household when I was very young were the Bible and the Yellow Pages. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I, you know, until like around third grade, when I I was fortunate enough to, to be at a school that really, I mean, all schools value reading and writing and books, but this uh, particular school in third grade, there was a program where they pushed reading and there was like a readathon. It was something very simple, but I took it very seriously. And I just, Mm -hmm. I ran with it and I got a library card and I started reading after dinner and I could not stop. So yeah, I started with like Sweet Valley High, Babysitter's Club. And Uh, can you imagine there, there wasn't the same level of books my kids are such readers and there's just so much out there for young readers, middle grade, YA. There's just so much out there. We were always having to cobble together, you know, what was the least inappropriate adult books we could be reading. (laughs) Right. But I had a very similar household. 
definitely the yellow pages and <laughs> and a bible it was was it and still to this day my parents are not big readers and they kind of are like why why do you spend so much time reading like there's just to them it's a lot of doing nothing they're very yeah. you know hands on oh, physical workers so mm-hmm. like, what are you doing just- yeah that's so funny cuz i actually am the daughter of an english teacher and she I was such a voracious reader. She actually didn't push me. I think she thought I was like, had my nose in a book too much. And I would want to read all these books that were well above my grade level. I'm like, I'm going to read Walden by Thoreau. She's like, why would you read that? She was so discouraging at times because she thought I was like, as usual, just like taking things too far. Right, right. right, right. That's a, that's so a common all- theme for us with Kate. Uh- <laughs> Yeah, we won't get into that. But anyway, <laughs> next episode. Yeah. Yes, 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 exactly. So we also wanted to talk about your road to publishing. I understand that you had written an adult literary novel that you got an agent but didn't sell, which has actually happened to me as well. And the more I talk about it, the more I hear about it, the more it's on my radar. I it happens to a lot of of authors. So definitely. And for you, uh, for me, my arc is still mid-process, but you, it was almost a good thing because that's when you discovered YA, which you've said feels like home to you. Mm. And then selling this book was a completely different experience. Do you want to talk about some of those uh, parts? Yeah. I mean, I worked on this other adult novel for off and on for seven years, and it was my my main project. And when I got an agent for this book, I thought, this is it. You know, the last step, everything's going to like plug in suddenly. And it was not the case. It was devastating. Um, I really, I really think it was like one of the lowest points of my life, because I felt like I checked all the boxes and did all the things. And it still wasn't happening. Getting an agent is a big deal, right? Yes, I mean, yes. so many people are out there flooding queries and, and aren't getting any feedback. So you think, oh, well, I must be through, right? You must, right. I must be exactly. like through to the next level. And there's, there, it's not, yeah. Right. And, and she had put together an amazing list of editors. And I remember just the energy of like, we're going out with the, with the manuscript and, we got some, you know, kind compliments, still knows, you yes. know, but a lot of, a lot of kind of generic, like, oh, I'm going to kick myself later yes. for turning it down. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like these like Stanford yes. Yeah, right. Yes. I'm like, or they would say like, oh, this was working for me, but the ending just didn't feel satisfying. And I wanted to like write them back and be like, I can change, change the ending. ending. <laughs> I can change the ending. No problem. I'll do that this weekend. Yes. You know, like it felt so like, don't. Yeah. Um, and it just doesn't work that way. So we, we kind of peeled back and I looked at an essay collection that I had. I looked at this YA novel and that's when I had this crossroads moment where I made the complicated decision to part with my agent, which was really hard because I hate conflict mm. and I just was raised to feel like you're just lucky. Yeah. You should be grateful. Like, you know, you have clothes on your back. Mm-hmm. Like, And so, but in this way, I felt like something inside me was saying, no, no, you can ask for more. You deserve more and your character deserves more. And really what it came down to was that I needed an agent who specialized in YA because it really is a different field. They, they have different 
conferences and lunches and meetings and you know happy hours with different editors and people in the industry. So I didn't want to start off already kind of what's a metaphor I can use. You know, I felt like my whole life I've I, people have started on third base and I've started like at first base. And in this case, I'm like, no. I got to get I, myself uh, to third. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. and it ended up being a really good decision because my agent, Faye Bender, is like such a great YA. She's a great agent, but she really specializes in YA. And it was clear from the beginning why that was the case. I mean, editors responded to her emails and calls and put together deals. Yeah. And then we went to auction and it just was a dream come true. And I think it happened because... I had this this amazing agent. Yeah, and because you knew you needed more. You knew you deserved yeah. more and you needed more and, and you didn't settle for anything else. Love Yeah, that. you listen to your gut. Yeah. We love that. Yeah. So many aspiring writers think getting the book deal is the end of the journey. But for you, it sounds like it was the beginning of a long road that would stretch from January 2018 to August 2020 when this comes out. I saw a really touching post on Instagram on your account where you received the first copies of your finished book with that gorgeous cover, oh, by the way. I love, love it. Uh, and you were FaceTiming with your parents and your little boys were looking <laughs> on. And I just, I loved it. We know you've had some lows, like the long and arduous revision process with your editor, the COVID production setbacks, but also just some really high highs, like pre-publication sales dinners and seeing a giant banner of your book at a sales convention. So it's been really up and down. So we, we'd love to hear more about this path to publication and how it feels now after you wrote again on this post, holding it in my hands today, this beautiful, colorful book surrounded by family makes it worth the wait. She's here. I got my girl. Oh, I love <laughs> I that. Love that. You can tell I have two sons, right? <laughs> well, I do too. So I saw I just thought it was so, I, like, that's exactly why. Yeah. I was like, I would say this. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, it's been full of ups and downs, as you say. And one thing I've realized, I used to view pub day as like the ultimate, like mm. reaching the top of the mountain, like August 18th, or it's moved, you know, August 4th, it was May 5th, it was February 2020. And that finish line kept moving. And I put so much emphasis on that. Mm. And throughout this pandemic, I've just realized that it's more, it, it feels wiser and just more, I don't know, right, I guess, to see that as part of a journey not like the peak of the journey. Right. And so what I mean is like, there are so many other experiences along that path that are equally riveting, like like getting that box of hardcover yeah. books. Who's to say like, that can't be one of the joyous, you know, benchmarks or whatever, um, turning in my final revision, you know, down the line when the paperback comes out, like, I feel like there can be different, different parts on the journey that can feel equally exhilarating. Yeah. So that's helped me because I won't have a big party and I won't have all of that that I had pictured. Sure. But the, the silver lining is that, I mean, I just posted the, the link to sign up for the the launch with oh. Celeste Ng. Oh, I saw. That. Yeah, I'll have to share it with, with you and everybody. And it's just there are friends from all over the world who are going to be able to join. Oh, that wouldn't have otherwise. That wouldn't have, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's so true. Exactly. What a good perspective. Yeah, I mean, I think if you 
hang everything on that one date, it's it's bound to be a letdown, right? One right. It, one date can't carry the weight of all the work that you've done, all the passion that you feel for this, and it just can't. It just can't. It's kind of like a wedding day, right? Completely, <laughs> completely like a wedding. I'm like, I got to celebrate the dress, exactly, and, you the know, rehearsal the dinner, and yeah. yes, and and our anniversary. Right. So yes, yeah. mm-hmm. well. If you're a total writer nerd like I am, one of the most exciting parts of your bio is not even on your bio. It is that you are credited with forming the Chunky Monkeys. (laughs) So for those of us who are not geeks like me, can you explain what the Chunky Monkeys is besides a Ben and Jerry's delicious flavor ice cream? Right. So the Chunky Monkeys is a writing group that consists of now 11 members, writers. We formed this group when we were all instructors at Grub Street Creative Writing Center in Boston. And since then, a few members have moved to other parts of the country, but we were still the the chunks, the chunky monkeys, (laughs) that we chose that name because we would bring chunks of our work to workshop. And instead of saying like, I have a novel excerpt or I have a story, an essay, we were like, I just have this chunk of something help me figure out what it is and so that's how the name we also love ice cream yeah (laughs) so to say that this is a very prolific most published most celebrated single group of writers to ever assemble I think Calvin Hennick Sonia Larson Whitney Scherer Chip Creek Grace Toulouse Celeste Ng Christopher Castellani Alexandria Marzano Lesnovich Mm-hmm. And your husband, Adam Stumacher. Yep. And you, of course. Uh, it's the writer's equivalent of the 1992 Olympic dream team, in my mind. I'm like, this is it. So I've also heard, I, I know that you're very dedicated to this group. And I've heard you say that you really like going on writer's retreats and doing classes. I love that stuff too. And writing is such a, obviously, when you put the words down on paper, it's your own act. But the process itself doesn't have to be so solitary. And it seems you're really committed to that. I'm always looking for community no matter where I go. So I would want that in writing as well. Is it something that you tell writers, aspiring writers or or writers who are just trying to get to that next level to, to invest in and invest your time and, and energy into? Absolutely. Oh my God, I could just get emotional thinking about it because there are so many projects I've worked on that the chunks have pushed along, you know, and, and just having that validation, mm. I think is, is like 50% of it, if not more. I mean, you mm. just are writing at your desk and kind of like, does this even matter? And then you bring this small chunk and people are like, oh, this was a hot spot, drill it down here. Or like, I was really interested in this, you know, and, and they're critical too, in the best way, like, you know, yeah. Like the, the voice fell off for me here, all sorts of workshop type comments, right. but with such care and real trust, um, trust. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's a momentum too, you know, mm. where people ask you about it later. It's not like it dies in that workshop. We'll see each other often, you know, once a month. So then people will say like during coffee breaks or whatever, like, Hey, like, have you been working on that? And all these like side conversations help lift up the the energy of the piece and makes you want to go back to it. So you definitely don't have to do it alone. I have these essays that I've brought to the chunks for years. And finally, I kind of 
pulled them together and we have something called the side chunks, <laughs> which is like anybody who can, we have a side workshop and workshop the whole manuscript because it's a bigger time commitment. Sure. So not everybody can do it. Right. But we've done these side chunks for different projects, including Celeste's book, Little Fires Everywhere. She, like, she mm-hmm. spoke about it in quite a few interviews I listened to, and she had said that initial drafts were too weighted on one side of the, the mother versus the adopted mother, mm-hmm. the birth mother versus the adopted mother. And she really took that to heart. And you could see it in the final product. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's crazy. Like these conversations happen in someone's apartment, <laughs> like on the living room floor, like with snacks, like it, it doesn't have to be glamorous. Right. Um, it's, yes. Yeah. But that's so amazing that you were all a part of that. And now to see the success of that and, and, and the show, it must be so, cause I'm sure you all think of it almost partly as your own baby too. Like, I, you know, obviously it's her book, but you're all sort of must cheer for each other and it must be so fun to see that yeah it's surreal yeah i also love the idea that you're like on the floor in in apartments and otherwise i'm like oh it's behind a lectern and with turtlenecks and and a dark library behind you you're like no we're just digging in here I love yep, that. Yep. I love that. Wow. I wanted to talk about the title of the book. In the novel, Liliana asks Genesis, what do you say to people when people ask, where are you from? And she struggles, obviously, with the question herself often. You know, does she say Jamaica Plains or does she say Boston? Or do they mean where is her family from? Does she say Guatemala or El Salvador? Because that's probably what they mean. So it really can be a loaded question. And Genesis says in response, I say I'm Puerto Rican. What the fuck are you? Which I love. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about the title and, and your feelings generally on this question. Where are you from? Yeah, it's a really deep-rooted question. And I've had people of color look at the title and and say to me, like, that title, though. You know, it's like you get props just for titling the book that because it is a question that I think a lot of people of color have gotten their entire lives. And like you said, it's not so clear. Sometimes it can be like, oh, like you're new at college. Where are you from? Oh, I'm from Rhode Island, whatever, you know, and Other times it is like insinuating that otherness that you were Mm -hmm. mentioning before, you know, like Mm -hmm. you must be from somewhere because you're not from here. Like that, that question can insinuate that. And it's so complicated. I mean, I've been on the receiving end of that question my whole life. And it is the kind of thing where, what do I answer? What do I say? And then you're trying to think about what other people mean in the way that they're asking, depending on the context you're in. Are you at a conference? Are you at the cash register? Are you at a party? You know, it's like, so all of that is very taxing. Mm -hmm. And it's that double consciousness Mm -hmm. that Du Bois coined, you know, this term of just like constantly living in two conscious, two different consciousness, like it's, it's heavy, Mm -hmm. because you're, you're, you're existing in your own world. But then you're also thinking about the context of where you are, and how people are receiving you. Yeah. Yeah. I have not been on the receiving end of that question lots of times in my life, but I have had it happen. I worked in uh, kitchens, uh, in restaurants. And for me, it was a little bit of a validation because I was always seen as white. So it was like, what? But I always, but I still always wonder, what are you seeing right now? Like, what Mm -hmm. is it that you're seeing that makes you ask that question? And that's something no one ever says. And it's something you don't really get an answer to. But I always wondered, like, what is it that you see right now? 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes, yeah, I mean, like Liliana, I guess what I don't want or what I hope people take away is that it's not a bad question in its own right. Mm. Most um, of the time it is. Most of the time it is, I know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I guess it's like how it's asked and, um, and yeah. who you know, it comes from, right? Yeah. Yes. And if people accept your first answer, which they should, sure. like so sometimes I just don't feel like it. And I'm like, I'm from, I'm from Framingham. Yeah. And, and then if they keep pushing yeah. and I don't feel like giving them my like, you know, 23 and me results, yeah. it's like, I, exactly. <laughs> I'm in line at Trader Joe's like, yeah. just back off. I gotta go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's funny though, because when I said, no, I, I do agree most like just because my personal experience was was a different one. I agree that the question is generally inappropriate if that's what mm-hmm. you're actually getting at. But it's funny that when I was asked, because I was so rarely asked, I knew exactly what they were asking. Mm-hmm. And I would say, my grandmother's from Puerto Rico, if, you know, if that's mm-hmm. what you're getting at. And it always was. Right. It's a great title, it though. Is, I love it. It is. Did you come up with it? I'm so bad with titles. Oh, I hate titles. Oh. Um, yeah. My yeah. husband comes up with all my titles. Oh, I love um, that. But this one, in the book, there's a scene where she has to write up. It's part of an icebreaker at a a creative writing class. And they have to write six-word autobiographies. And so hers is, don't ask me where I'm from. And once I wrote that scene, I was like, that's it. That's the title. I love that. I love that. Yeah. So the dedication to your book reads, For My Mother, For Believe It. We ask all of our authors, who are the complicated women that inspire you, but we have a feeling that you kind of answered that for us already. Do you want to share a little bit about this? Or maybe if you don't, you can tell us about other women you admire from real life or fiction, or you can do both. Oh, yeah. I mean, my mother is like mm-hmm. the the sun, you know, she's just, I can't say enough about her. Um, 50 years ago, she moved to the United States this year, 50 years. And first she moved to Los Angeles and then to Boston. And she's just been my driving inspiration everything my my entire life and i remember years ago i was in my 20s and i was having this like quarter life crisis or return of saturn moment oh. whatever you want to call it and i was like i said i'm moving to guatemala and i'm buying a one way ticket and i'm subletting my apartment and quitting my job and both my parents freaked out and but they knew she's she's really doing this like we can't talk her out of it you know I was like 27 or something what are you gonna say (laughs) you're an adult yeah so that morning my mom drove me to the airport and of course my suitcase was too heavy because she was stuffing it with gifts for relatives in Guatemala that I I visit them you know so I visit them in the capital empty my suitcase and then go off four hours west to Quetzaltenango to do my own thing. I really wanted to live there and write and learn. And so anyway, that day at the airport, it was really early and we're stuffing the suitcase and the guy is like, it's still two pounds over. And we're like, all right, take out this sweatshirt, whatever. And she gave me this little bracelet. It was silver and it said, believe. And then she had another one and she, she put it on her wrist and then she gave me the other one. And I know. And, and, Oh my gosh. gosh. And I think she just, she didn't understand the practicalities of like what I was doing and, and like the, there's so much that she doesn't understand about the ins and outs of my actual journey to be a writer, but she believes in me. So I felt like I had to dedicate the whole book to her. Oh, 
I yeah. love that. Oh, that I have you guys crying. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> yes. Seriously. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And here I am wondering how on earth I'm going to ask my next question, but you mentioned Saturn's return. Oh, Seriously, yeah. we wanted to listen so fully and presently, but inside I was dying that you just brought that up. I mean, yeah. I talk about my Saturn's yeah. return as like the the biggest upheaval of my whole life. Yep. So I get yep. that. But go ahead, Kate. No, I mean, so one of the things we love to talk about on here, which is sort of a little side interest is astrology. And we always ask our authors about it. But, you know, sometimes we have no basis to know whether they're going to think we're crazy. Sometimes there's something in their book that references a sign. So we're like, okay, but I don't know with this. I was like, who knows? And then you just said wow. Saturn's return. I'm like, okay, because... <laughs> Listen, we we are two lawyers, actually, but writers too. And and we come across very different reactions to groups, these concepts yes. of fate. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, fate versus free will. So what sign are you and do you relate to it? Yes. <laughs> I'm, a, yeah. I'm a Taurus. So I'm stubborn. I'm a bull. But um, <laughs> I'm also very passionate. Yeah. And I think that's that's it the right sign. I was, I was given the right sign, born into the right space. <laughs> and Taurus is, yeah. they're very, very interested in creating a comfortable home and like, like to be in that space and creature comforts. Very grounded. Yes, very grounded. Yes. Yeah. And I write a ton about home. I mean, it's like in every right. story or essay. Right. So that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense on a small scale, like your house, your physical house, but then also these bigger ideas of theme and, mm-hmm. and belonging. And because home is where you is what you think of as where you belong. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. that's even more so. And, and, oh, but, but you do think that period of time was your Saturn's return kicking in? Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I love that. Oh my gosh. I love <laughs> that. When we talk about complicated women, we realize that sometimes circumstances provide complications. Do you have a story? And I know you do. And I I may try to push you in one way <laughs> about a failure that ended up being a blessing, something that changed everything for you. I think you probably have, we all, if we're paying attention, probably have a lot of those. But one I really yeah. love that I've heard you talk about, and I'd love for you to share with our listeners, is the Ms. Magazine internship. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought you were going to talk about um, pregnancy for a minute. Oh, we can do that <laughs> oh. too. I love it. And I was, I was like, I'm fine. I'm ready to go there. Oh. <laughs> we're friends now. Yeah. Um, no, because that, that kind of paralleled my journey too. But but that's another story. But anyway, so with Ms. Magazine, oh my gosh, I was a, a sophomore at Connecticut College and I took my first English class. It was a creative nonfiction class. And my professor said, you know, why don't she said, there's an internship at Ms. Magazine. I can recommend one person. If you're interested, come and see me. So I went to her office hours and again, checking the boxes. This is what I thought you had to do and asked her to recommend me. And she said, okay, yeah, you know, your, your interest is noted. I didn't really know what she meant, but I just kind of proceeded. And I studied abroad in Vietnam that spring semester. And so I hadn't heard from her and I sent her an email. I remember because I had like a hotmail, like email account and it was like my first email account. And I wrote her and I said, you know, about that internship. And she replied and said, I cannot recommend you because you split an infinitive in your email to me. I mean, I didn't even know what an infinitive was. And I was devastated, went back to the dorm where we were staying in Hanoi 
And I told my friend about it, Jordana, I remember, and she was an English major. And I'm like, what is she talking about? And she explained it to me. And I just thought, again, it's like your gut, like, no, this isn't where the story ends. Mm. There's there's another scene, there's another chapter to this, like, it's not going to go down like this. I'm in Vietnam, for God's sake. Like, (laughs) and um, so I replied, but I wrote it out on a yellow notebook and paper and Jordana proofread it. I went back to the internet cafe, typed it out, click send. And within 24 hours, my professor wrote back and she said, you know, I've never had a student take such authority over their education. I will recommend you. I'll give you my highest recommendation. I but I think, love that. yeah, she, um, for that period of time, when you got her saying, no, sorry, I'm not going to, I mean, that's, people could have walked away and said, this is my no, this is my, you know, and that's it. And you didn't. And I love that. Thanks. Yeah. I just felt like on a very deep level, she was wrong. Yeah. 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 I don't know. There was something about where I, and I told her this in the email. I'm like, you know, I can learn grammar. I can Mm. revise, but this magazine isn't just about grammar it's about voice and third wave feminism all feminism but Gloria Steinem founded this magazine to be inclusive of women's voices and I really don't see many Latina voices basically up in the mix you know like so you need to have me there and I'm I'm grateful that she I guess changed her mind or you made her because you took yeah yeah what she said that you took such authority over it and and that is something I think that comes with being other, that being forced to do that. And I've talked about there's there's always this weird balance of, of factors, right? There's a powerlessness of not being part of the majority, but there's also like this optimism, like I can do it and I can get there and I know mm-hmm. I can. And there's a resilience of, you know, you don't tell me no, right? Like yeah. I know because I know yeah. something tells you tells me right in this moment that your no isn't for the right reasons. It's not one I have to just take. So mm-hmm. yeah. And then you have a post about that too. Clearly I was stalking your Instagram, but where <laughs> <Right>. you, <laughs> where you got to meet Gloria Steinem. And I loved what you wrote in that too. Like to what Corinne is saying, you, you ended the, the post about that experience you just shared. And you said, don't ever let anyone tell you where you do or don't belong. Claim your space. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yes, yes that is so true. And something we're not told enough. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. So I I do have one more question. What just generally, what are you loving right now? Are there any books or shows or people that you're really into that our listeners might want to know about or maybe we want to cover on a podcast? If it's a female creator with a strong, complicated female protagonist, anything, but anything at all, really. Absolutely. Oh my God. I'm like, do you have another hour? Yeah. Because, um, so she's looking at her yes, books. People yes. can't see that she's looking yeah, at her bookshelf. Like, ah. Okay, so <laughs> I have to. So a show, first of all, is Hentified. It's a show on. Oh God, now I'm going to mess up where it is because I get confused. Um, with all the we can look it okay. up. I do that. Okay. Too. <laughs> so America Ferrera produced the show mm-hmm. and directed it, and it's set in Boyle Heights um, in LA, and it's about gentrification and immigration. Yeah, it's language. on Netflix. It's on Netflix. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. I am obsessed with this show, and it just got renewed for second season. Yes. But it's funny. It's sad. It's it's dramatic. It's a dramedy. I guess that's a thing. Yeah. Oh, we love those. Yes, that is a <laughs> that thing. Is a thing. Yeah. Is a thing. So I love that show, and I think it's bringing important issues 
to the screen in in ways I hadn't haven't seen before. So I love that. And then yes. this book, The Black Kids by Christina Hammonds Reed. Yeah. I think she'd be perfect actually to I mean, talk about a complicated protagonist. Ashley, this is set against the Rodney King LA riots. So historical fiction yeah. set in the 90s. <laughs> Way back when. And it, she's a complicated narrator because she is part of an affluent Black community. And she's at this private school. All her friends are white. She doesn't hang out with the Black kids. And then the riots happen. And it changes the dynamics of her friendships mm-hmm. and, and so much more. And she just starts to kind of come into her own Nick Stone described it, I think, as the the protagonist going from a a black teenager to a black woman mm-hmm. or something like that, and mm-hmm. just kind of yeah. So it's a coming of age book, but she's she's definitely she's she's complicated. I so love I, that. I love. Yeah. Look at all your dog ear too, dog ear pages oh my God, you saw there. I, I, love I love that. that. I just saw so many when you I held know, it up. I know. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Isn't it funny how YA and also just coming of age stories are loved by it's targeted for teens but it's loved by so many people because i just feel like there are a lot of times when we come into different ages right we come into a different identity no matter how long you've been something we've talked kate and i have talked about it a lot on this podcast of like being becoming a mother and where you kind of identify with that part of yourself or for me i've been talking a lot more about kind of asserting my puerto rican heritage not because all of a sudden it's like cool to do it, but because I'm reckoning with my own otherness and where I belong and what I can do and what my voice, you know, can offer or not and where it doesn't and where amplifying other voices is more important. So I feel like there's just constant reckonings with different parts of our identities. And so coming of age always seems relevant no matter how old you are, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you for those. Those are excellent recommendations Great. yeah i can't wait to check those out we are doing we're going to cover next foodie love have you heard of this no. by a spanish woman who's like a, a superstar in spain and oh, it's a show about she's, the she's she created yeah she wrote it and directed it's on is it on hulu kate hbo it, oh, hbo yes yes HBO, Foodie, um, Foodie Love. Love. And it's subtitled Beautiful about food and love and desire travel, and travel. romance. Yes. So, yeah, that's next on our plate, but those are really great recommendations. If there's anything else you want to add or that we didn't ask you that you wanted to be asked, I, I would. Just love to make a, a plug for this, for the launch event. Oh, yeah, on absolutely. August 18th, it's hosted, co-hosted by Porter Square Books in Cambridge and 826 Boston. 826 Boston, if you don't know about it, is a creative writing center for teens or for kids, fifth grade through 12th grade. And there's a scene in the book where Liliana goes there in her neighborhood in Boston. And so it felt, it felt right to to have them co-host the event uh, with Celeste Ng. We'll be in conversation. But what's special about, I hope is special about this launch is that I felt a little bit like, you know, it's always a little bit uncomfortable being like me, me, me. And I felt like come to this launch, buy my book. So I I wanted to use it as an opportunity to to ask 
people, readers, if they'd be willing to buy a copy for a teenager in Boston. And so we're trying to raise a book for every ninth grader at the O'Brien High School so that when I visit their school in the fall, every every young person will be able to have a signed copy that they can keep. I love that. We will definitely promote that even ahead of this episode coming out. So so people have it on the radar. Absolutely. And you know, I understand what you're saying. I can't imagine I, I'm not yet there published and, and promoting like you are. But just having read your book and, and reading books in general, you have to know that when you're asking people to read your book, you're actually offering them something too. I mean, we get so much out of it. And so you'll you'll have girls who are able to stand up for themselves, women like me yeah. who are feel... Having a conversation, I mean, Kate probably hasn't heard me say these things and we've been friends for 20 plus years. So you're allowing conversations through your book that this is not about me, 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 me. This is like we get, we're getting, we're getting. So thank you so much for writing it and for doing all of this. Tell our listeners where they can find you on social media or where, where your website, whatever you want to share with us. Yes, definitely. So I'm on Instagram as Deli Jen, D-E-L-E-J-E-N-N. And I'm on Twitter at Jdelion Writer. And I also have a website, which is JenniferDelionAuthor.com. And, you know, it's it's me receiving the emails on the contact info. So I know I reached out to you there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you me, yeah. There you go. Um, and Goodreads, of course, if you can read and comment on there I don't know yes. a lot of this is so new to me but I think I'm supposed to say that yes good yes good yes uh by the way your your last name translates to the lion which our Kate is our Leo queen over there so Ooh. yes who looks another like connection. Lion. oh and I forgot to say uh-huh. another woo woo piece of this all was when I opened your book and I see that the Liliana's best friend's name is Jade which is the name my, oh my, my parents God. gave me. And I was like, look at this to see like this character with the name Jade. I was like, oh, this is meant to be. So yeah, so many connections. Yeah. Yes, thank, exactly. Thank you both. This is, so, this is a special podcast. Good. I just, I love the energy. I feel like we're having a great conversation and I'm so grateful to you for reading the book and championing the story. Absolutely. You have oh, our full so support. Our Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Jen. It was great. This has been Pop Fiction Women with Corinne and Kate. If you enjoyed this show, please tell the complicated women in your life. And the men who love them. Yes, tell them to listen. And then to follow on Spotify or review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And of course, share on social media. Tag us with your favorite books, TV shows and movies starring complicated women on Facebook and Instagram at Pop Fiction Women or on Twitter at Pop underscore women. For more coverage of the women you love or to find out if you qualify as a complicated woman, go to popfictionwomen.com. And keep it complicated.